Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. Beautiful stuff, isn't it, man? I love, you know, to be honest with you, and I'm sure some of you guys feel the same way, <laughs> I could just spend most of my worship time just singing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good word, isn't it? You know, uh, the names of uh, tech giants uh, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Bill Gates, and Steve Jobs tend to come to mind when we're thinking about people who in recent years achieved extraordinary successes at a young age. Zuckerberg, 19, Bill Gates, 20, uh, Steve Jobs, 21. These were, what, young people, in essence, weren't they? Uh, but what about in history? Uh, maybe, maybe it's because of the, the culture uh, that, that we live in now. That's why it's that way. Or, or perhaps, perhaps this was something that has always happened. So let me give you some people, uh, both historically and, and contemporarily, that, uh, that I believe are young people that have made a huge difference in our lives. Fair enough? So uh, in... Uh, <laughs> this is the best picture I have of her right now, so... <laughs> the bloody hundred-year war devastated medieval France. However, in 1429, 1429, a teenage peasant girl helped turn things around for the country. Backed by a, a small courtier of supporters, Joan of Arc managed to convince her country's leadership to give her the commanding role in the army. She was 17 years old when she chopped off her hair, put on men's clothes, and rode off to battle. How old? 17 years old. She was trusted with this Great responsibility, and, and you, you know the end result of that. Uh, some of you guys might have heard of this guy, Louis Braille. Have you ever heard of the Braille method? He, uh, for the, uh, the Braille language for the blind was developed by him in 19, oh, excuse me, in 1824 when he was just 15 years old. And the way it happened is he tweaked it and expanded it as time went on. But having been blind himself since the age of three, he was inspired at a young age to conceive a way to read and write himself. Fifteen years old. Wow. <clears throat> now, uh, this girl name is Claudette Calvin. Claudette was... 15, when she became a major player in the civil rights movement by refusing to give her bus seat to a Caucasian writer. This was nine months before who we all know about, and that's Rosa Parks, right? Uh, Rosa Parks, of course, was the one that was arrested for the same thing. She was not. She was, in fact, one of the four plaintiffs involved in the Supreme Court case that ultimately outlawed segregation on Alabama buses. How old was she? 15 years old. I'm not even going to try to even pronounce this name, but I'll do my best. Tawande Kama. Chama? You know, Betty over here. Chama received 
the 2007 International Children's Peace Prize when she was 16 years old. International Children's Peace Prize when she was 16 years old for her work as an educational right activist in Zambia. She also had been crusaded for the rights of people living with HIV AIDS in Africa and she's been doing it ever since. This guy here really uh, is amazing to me. His name is uh, Alec, uh, um, excuse me, uh, S. Easton LaChapelle. And Easton LaChapelle was 14 years old, 14 years old, when he built a prototype for a robotic handout of Legos and fishing rider. And fishing, fishing rider, wider, wire, it's easy for say to you, in 2011. 14 years old, he gets Legos and fishing wire, puts them together, and he makes this kind of robotic arm, which earned him third place at the Colorado State Science Fair. As fate would have it, there was a seven-year-old girl at that same science fair with a prosthetic arm that cost $80,000. $80,000. It was then that Easton's missions became clear to build a more affor affordable alternative. Now, Easton runs a startup that uses 3D printing. Did you catch this? To build prosthetic arms and hands, bringing the price down to just $350 to produce. He also made the design accessible. Yeah, I think that deserves an applause. He also made the, the design accessible to download by anyone at no cost. So you could just do that. Like 14 years old. Now, what is happening here? Is it possible that young leaders just have a lot less inhibition than we do as adults? Is it possible that they're a lot less insecure? Is it possible that the echoes of naysayers have not yet been too loud in their minds, and so they just, they just do what they got to do? Is it possible that perhaps at times in history, when God needs uninhibited courage, unadulterated creativity, and unbridled energy, he calls on young people to do the work. Is that possible? See, I believe that we are missing the boat when it comes to engaging young people, involving young people in the work of the kingdom. I think what happens is sometimes we kind of lose sight of that, of their power. We, we want to control and make sure that they're okay. They're okay. Can I just tell you that? They know what they're doing. They're not stupid. That doesn't mean we don't model and we don't mentor. It doesn't mean, in fact, that's what they want. What about biblically? Well, let's talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. From the ages of 19 and 20, when they entered the fiery furnace and spent some time with Jesus in that place. They were, they were 19 and 20 years old. There were people that were much older back in those days that, that should have not bowed down to the image. But these 19 and 20-year-olds said, you know what? We're not going to bow down. Whether God saves us or not, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. I bet you there were old people going, yes, go, go, while they're bowing down, you know? Why? Well, because they applauded the courage. Maybe they even thought, these guys are stupid. They're dead. <laughs> but yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> and yet God preserved them. Amen? Queen Esther uh, 
was 24 years old when she went with courage before the king and, and, and asked for the scepter. 24 years old when she said, if I perish, I perish. 24 years old when she heard the voice of her uncle say, perhaps it was for such a time as this that you have become queen of Persia. 24 years old. 24 years old. She heeded the call. And what about uh, little David? <laughs> little David was 16 years old when he slayed the giant. 16. Some people actually think he was 15. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. 16 years old when he slayed the giant. Do you think there were people older than him in that army? Oh, yeah. What were they doing? Let's figure this out. What is going on here? What is happening? The disciples, again, best picture I can come up with. When they were called to follow Jesus, you know, all of us, we see these pictures or we see the movies, they always got like these big beards and they look old. They were not old. They were 18 to 25 years old. That was the age of these disciples. When Jesus said, hey, follow me. Peter, follow me. John, follow me. Andrew, follow me. Bart, follow me. Thomas, follow me. Matthew, you're a little older, but follow me. He's, he's the, the guy that was 25, you know what I mean? There's a place for you in God's kingdom. That's who he was surrounding himself with. Why? Well, because maybe he needed uninhibited courage, unadulterated creativity, and unbridled energy. You know, we always make fun of Peter, but Peter really, really was, was a little impetuous, but there was a reason why God wanted Peter. He actually, I think, wanted that impetuousness. He wanted that creativity. He wanted that part of him that said, hey, you know, I'm going to be able to. Not, did he mentor him? Of course he did. Did he have to, the, the, did he have to uh, uh, somehow uh, correct him? Of course he did. See, I think we ought to adapt a new culture, a culture that says this, fail often, succeed sooner. A culture that says, hey, look, it's okay. We're going to let you do what you got to do. We're going to help you do it. And, and you're going to fail. And that, you know, I know you're going to fail. But that's okay. Failure is going to be a good thing because you're going to learn from that failure. And you're going to grow in that failure. And together, we're going to make this church a courageous, creative, energetic church. Amen. What about our church? What about our denomination? Do you know that Ellen Harmon uh, received her first vision, prophetic vision, when she was 17 years old? Uriah Smith became the editor of the Adventist Review when he was 23 years old. We wouldn't think of that now. J.N. Andrews uh, became the first ordained minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church at the age of 23. What is going on here? I love what Greg Groeschel says. Greg Groeschel says, don't resent, fear, or judge the next generation. Believe in them. 
And maybe the problem is that, that, that we don't believe in them. Maybe because we see them when the way we were when I was younger. When I see myself as a 23-year-old, I'm going, ain't no way I would be giving that guy a key, right? But somehow, somehow, somebody saw me differently. And today I'm a pastor. I've been one for 30 years. I don't know what I was thinking, but God did. As it has been proven through, in every, through the ages in every institution, as the church has aged and grown, like every institution, like every organization, it has become more and more protective of its keys. You following me? There is something about us that wants to hold on to the keys. There are key hoarding leaders that just hold on to the keys. There's none of you in here, I know. I know you guys don't do that. But then there is key lending or loaning leaders. And these people just kind of briefly lend the keys and they get them back. They micromanage the whole thing as they go, as they go about it. And then there is uh, key chain leaders. They empower others and fully give the keys. And they have this kind of thing about them. They say, I do, we do, you do. Say that with me. I do... We do, you do. Okay, now say it with a little passion. I do, we do, you do. Yeah. Let me illustrate that. Ashley, would you come up here for a moment? I've got some, yeah, let's give her a big round of applause. I've got some keys here. Can you see them? I asked Nancy, Nancy, can you give me the biggest keys you got? And this is what she got me. All right? So let's suppose, let's suppose there's a door here, all right? There's a door here. Now, let's, let's put into practice this I do, we do, you do thing, okay? So the first thing is I do, you just watch, okay? Just watch me. I'm going to take this key right here. This is the one that opens this door. Okay, let's go in. Come on. Okay, good. Now we're, now we're there, okay? Now we close the door. Okay, did you see the way I did it? Yeah. All right, now I'm going to give you the keys. Now I'm going to do... I do, you help. So before I did, you watched, right? Now I do and you help. So give me the keys. Let's, let's do it together. Let's open that key. Good. Now we got the door open again. Now let's go through. Okay, very good. Nice. Now let's go back out. Now uh, let me give you the keys. And you do and I watch. Go ahead. Go on in. Very good. Awesome. And now give me the, give me the keys again. Now... Uh, I give you the keys, you do, God bless you, you're going to do fine, okay? Go ahead, open the door, you got it, right? Do you understand what's happening here? Why is it? Thank you so much. Yeah, give her a big round of applause. Why is it so hard for us to give the keys to our young people? Why is it that we don't trust them? Have you ever gotten the keys? Have you ever been trusted? Do you remember the first time you were trusted with the keys? I remember my dad teaching me how to drive. 
in his little fiat. That fiat, by the way, he took everywhere to work. That fiat, he, he put, he would, like, it's amazing, this car. This was not the fiats that they import here. These were fiats that he actually had to ship, ship, ship it here. This was a fiat that, that he loved with all his heart. He, this was a little station wagon fiat. Little fiat, but station wagon. He would put all his, he was an electrician, he would put all these tools in that fiat, and then on top he would have ladders. Be like, how does this thing even go? You know, and this is what, and, and this is what he taught me. And now, of course, he would take the ladders off. And it was a stick shift, manual. And I remember him taking me to a parking lot and saying, watch me. And so I'm like, okay, Dad. <laughs> you know, I'm just so excited because I'm going to learn how to drive, you know. And he's like, watch me. And so now I'm looking at him, and he's, and he's showing to me, look, this is what you do. You put this foot down. You do this. And you, when you have to put on the brakes, you put this foot down. And he's just going on and on. He's going, and so this, is, this is the clutch. This is the brake. This one here is the most difficult one. It's called the accelerator. Be careful with that one. Your foot can be very heavy, you know, and he's telling me all this. Now, these are the blinkers, and this is the thing. I mean, I mean, he just went on and on. Back then, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, we didn't really have to wear seatbelts. But he said, you're going to put your seatbelt on when you get in the car. I'm like, okay, Dad, you know. So, so, uh, so I remember then he said, okay, now we're going to be in this parking lot. He says, okay, now you're going to get in the driver's seat. <gasps> really? Yeah. Okay. And then he says, okay, now here's the keys. You could, I'll, I'll be in the other seat, so don't kill me. That's what he said to me. So I said, okay. So now I'm in there, and he goes, okay, now turn the car on. I remember turning the car on, clutch, <laughs> told me exactly what to do, and hearing, and thinking, oh, power. <laughs> this is like, and then he said, okay, now just, just go to the end of the parking lot. And, and try not to kill anybody. Okay. And I remember the first couple of times, it was like, you know, it was terrible. And he's like, it's okay. It's okay. Let's do it again the other way. No, no, Dad, it's okay. I'm good. I'm really good, Dad. That's good enough for me for today. We'll start tomorrow. He goes, no, 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 you know. And so he would do this little by little, little by little. And then he would show me again. And then he would teach me again. And then he'd give me the keys again. Until one day... This was his fiat. He gave me the keys and said, all right, man, I need you to go buy my newspaper, El Progreso. I want you to go and, you know, if you want to see a friend, that's fine. Go for it and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you this evening for dinner at 6 o'clock sharp. Wait, you're not going to be in the car with me? No. No, no, you're good. You've got your permit. You've got your license. You're good to go. Are you sure, Dad? Because I've never driven alone. He goes, you could do this. I got you. I'll never forget, man, having those keys, putting it in that car, turning it on, rolling the window down. We didn't have that button thing, you know, back in those days. It was like this. And it, you, we went for a long time before that window went down. Sticking my arm out, driving down Webster Avenue in the Rochelle, man, feeling like I had freedom. And made sure I was home by 6 o'clock with the progresso for my father. There is something about that freedom that you don't want to mess around with. I'll never forget, I'll never forget when, when he, uh, uh, I, I, I would go for summers to work with him as an electrician. 
And, and he would say, listen, you know, I need you to go get this. I need you to go get that. And by this point now, I am driving his car everywhere. And I'm like waving at people, you know, make sure I drive by my girlfriend's house. Hey, you know, all this stuff, you know. And I would help him, and he would teach me how to fix things. I'll never forget the day, like months, a little bit, a couple of months into it. He, he drove me to this job, and he said, okay, listen, we need to wire this, 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 and this. I'm going to go to another job. You do it. By myself? Yeah. Yeah, but Dad, I, what if I get electrocuted? Well, then you won't be here when I get back. But, you know, that was his answer. But I'm, I believe you. I trust you. You're going to be fine, you know. And I'll never forget. And I was, like, so meticulous about making sure that the wires were just in the right spot and that I, that I put things, the, the white and the red and the black in the right spots. I mean, I was, like, going crazy, man, making sure. I'll never forget that when my father came back for lunch, uh, I was about three-quarters of the way done. I was a little slower than he was. But he says, let me see how he's doing. And he looked at it and he goes, oh, Sergio. See the way I said that, by the way, Anthony? Sergio, yeah. He said, man, that is unbelievable. You're, you're great. That was fantastic. And then ever since then, he just kept leaving me at people's houses to do stuff. Do you know what it's like to have the keys, to give the keys to a young person? I'll never forget what it was felt like to be able to say, you know, you are, Sergio, I do, you watch. Sergio, you do. I help, or you help, you do, I help, and you do, I watch, and I do, you do, and God bless you. You know, that was it. That was the way it was with my father. I could not believe that my dad would do that. And can I be honest with you? I think it was those moments that caused tremendous security in my life so that I could take the right steps in leadership later on in my life. And I think what happens is when we give the keys to young people, they're going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do stuff. I'll never forget one time he gave me this stuff called Plaster of Paris. Big mistake. I mean, the wall was supposed to be nice and smooth and everything. I mean, there were like, there was, there was like all these bumps and stuff. And I thought I'd be nice and painted over it too. And he's like, oh, no, now I'm going to have to repaint the whole thing. And, you know, I made lots of mistakes, but it was fine. It didn't mean the next time he didn't, he didn't say to me, okay, no more plaster of Paris for you. No, he said, okay, now look, I hope you learned from last time because we're going to have to let you use the plaster of Paris again. And I was like, all right, I think it's because it's from Paris that's the problem, Dad. You know, I don't know. I was just... <laughs> I think we'd be really surprised. if we give the keys to young people. I think we as a church, we do a pretty good job loaning the keys. But quite honestly, I don't think we do such a great job in giving the keys by modeling, mentoring, and then leaving them alone. I think we're too afraid that they're going to blow up something. And I think we need to be careful about that. Because I think one of the reasons why our church is not growing younger, and I don't mean our church, church, but I mean Christianity, is because, because we're afraid to let young people shine. You know, there was this guy named Elijah. Uh, let me get through this here real quick. He was a prophet in Israel. 
And he had this young guy named Elisha that he mentored. And, and, and after a while, Elijah knew that God wanted him to, to go and have Elijah is one of those few people that never saw death. That, that it says that a chariot of fire came down and took Elijah to heaven. Woo! I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to see that. You know, I think, that, I, think I would faint. Just, I don't know. I know we all think, oh, that would be so cool, but let me tell you, I think he would faint. So here's the moment where it says, after they had crossed over, here's the moment. Elijah knows this is it. He's got this young apprentice named Elisha. He says, Elijah said to Elisha, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Catch the question. I want to do something for you before I am taken from you. See, some of us wait until we die, and then we say, well, good luck now. We have to do it before we are taken from here. And then it says, Elisha said, leave me a double share of your spirit. A little cocky Elisha was, wasn't he? Just like a teenager, wasn't he? Just give me a double share. I mean, I think you were pretty good, and you did a good job. But I think I should be able to do better than you. And Elijah said, no way. That's going to give me a bad reputation. Uh, I'm going to hold on to the keys and good luck. Is that what he said? No. Listen to what he says. You have asked a hard thing. In other words, what Elijah is saying is, look, I, I applaud your courage. I applaud your ambition. I applaud you. I could tell you're a teenager. I could tell you're young. I could tell. I applaud that. But here's the thing. You just need to know before I go, before we do this, you, what you're asking is a hard thing. Leadership is not easy. That's what he's saying. We all think we just want leadership. But leadership, once you get into leadership, it's a hard thing, isn't it? It's like all of a sudden you begin to realize, oh, wow, I thought it was all about the accolades. I thought it was all about the, you know, everybody's saying, wow, what a great guy. No. No, leadership is a hard thing. He says, what you're asking me is a hard thing. And then he says these words, however, if you see me when I am taken from you, if you're there and you don't faint, if you're there and watch me, how it's done, when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Now, Right here, by the way, we would think that it wasn't Elijah to give Elisha's. But see, I don't think we realize how much God trusts us. Because the truth is, can I be honest with you? In the scope of eternity, we're all little babies that God gives us the keys to. Isn't that true? And then we're like, no, 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 now i got to keep the keys. It's mine. That's what, that's what babies do. It's my keys. I keep the keys. My keys. Mine. Mine. Right? That's what we do. But Elijah says no. And Elijah says, if you don't, it won't happen. 
And if you read that story, and I purposely don't give you the whole story because I want you to go read it. Read 2 Kings. It's an amazing book to read. You find that Elisha uh, is still a teenager. He does some pretty crazy stuff. But this guy definitely has a double portion of Elijah's Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. Why? So that, so that Elisha could further the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus said this. You know, a lot of people come by that and they say, new wine, what is this class? Why are you calling it new wine? Are you guys drinking in there? Yeah, we are. Water. We had orange juice this morning as we celebrated Elliot's birthday. This is why we call it new wine. Jesus says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining also the what? The skin. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you know, ultimately we must accept the fact that we need new wine. Now, the old wine is great. In fact, the old wine, often some people say this is better. Vintage, right? But sooner or later, the old wine goes away. And you need new wine. And for new wine to be accepted into the new wine, into a, into a wineskin, it has to be a new wineskin, meaning it has to, we have to have a different culture, a new culture, a new attitude, a new way of, of, of being able to do what we want to do with young people. We cannot expect this new wine to come into the old culture, this new wine to come into the old way, this new wine. We must give them the keys and say, you know what? You go ahead and create the new wineskins. I know it's hard. Trust me. I've been doing it for 30 years. Until this day, every time I give the key to an Ashley or somebody, I'm like, okay, please don't get killed. Please don't kill anybody. But go for it. Fail often. Succeed sooner. Say that with me. Fail often, succeed sooner. That's the new wineskin. It's that attitude. It's that culture. Are you willing to embrace that attitude and that culture with me? See, young Christians today seek to experience a sense of ownership and responsibility. They want it. They want the keys. They are tired of having everything handed to them, tired of being policed as they search for their true identity. I believe we're having an identity crisis. Many young Christians today are experiencing this identity crisis because we are not giving them the keys. They desperately need noble Christian role models, the adults. They desperately need noble Christian role models that will accept them for who they are. That will not try to correct 
or fix them. They are not any more broken than I am. Can I be honest with you? We are all broken in here. And if we don't recognize that, then we've got other issues to deal with. <laughs> but the truth is, we, we always want to fix them. They're, they're not any more broken than we are. We can mentor them. We can guide them. But please, stop trying to fix them just because they're different than we are. They long to go beyond the conventional external measurements and experience internal true holiness. They're tired of reformation. They're, they want transformation. Are you following what I'm saying? Trust me, I work with these young people all the time, and they will blow you away if you just let them do what they got to do. Young people today, deep down inside, are longing to stand for something, something that is not primarily handed down to them, but something that they've helped build, that they've helped create. They are no longer satisfied with playing church. Did you hear me? They are no longer satisfied with playing church. They are the new wine in need of new wineskins. And if we don't do something soon, the old wineskins will burst. I showed you this picture last time. This is my wife and myself. Let me tell you about the guy in the middle. His name is Jim LaRusso. I've talked about him before here. He, was a, he had a big part in my conversion. He was a classical guitar player, one of the best at the time and still is today. Uh, plays a 10-string guitar, plays beautifully. Uh, there was a time when I was studying the Bible with Jim that he was the third best in the world. The guy was amazing. And, uh, but Jim not only took his guitar playing very seriously, he took sharing Jesus very seriously. And he was, he was teaching my guitar player in my rock band guitar. And it got to a point where my guitar player, his name was Tony, said, how do you play so well? And Jim said, well, if you really want to know, it's more than just playing guitar. I play to God's honor and glory. And, and, and Tony was like, what does that mean? You know, what are you saying? And Jim said, if you'd like to know, I'll teach you. And he began to give Tony Bible studies, and Tony began to talk to me about the Bible. And it's a long, long story. I don't have the time to get into it all here. But I remember going to, to Jim's house. He was much younger then. Jim would teach us the Bible. They, we would have Bible studies that were like four hours long and thought, wow, where did the time go? Now, let me just tell you something. This church, in fact, here's the, the church from the outside, was a little church. This church was a fairly conservative church. In fact, me and three other guys, we were the youth group. That was it. You know? And there was something about having four young people coming in. I mean, I had long hair. I, I smelled like smoke. I, I had... I had no business being in church from what most people think church is like. But I would walk in there, and I'd be hugged by Brother Tommy, and I would be seated, and, I, I, you know, 
the elderly ladies would take us to their house and give us vegetarian food and, and play games with us and, 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 and beat us at these Bible games that we didn't know nothing about, you know. But they had a great time and they loved us. And here's the thing. There were times when they would say to us, hey, you're musicians. Would you play some songs for us? Now, they were hymnal singing like very conservative people. They knew that we didn't do that. And so we started writing songs. But they were contemporary songs back in those days. We were writing these songs, and they would be like, they would say, amen, amen. And, and I knew they didn't like them. <laughs> but they loved us. Let me tell you, amen, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. They loved us, and they loved us. And they, I'll never forget, I was like 20 years old. I had just become an Adventist, just been baptized. And I was told by, by Jim, he said, you know, I think you're a good teacher. Why don't you teach Sabbath school? Like, what? Teach what? Yes, teach Sabbath school. I'm like, I'm not sure I can do that. He goes, okay, I'll, I'll give you practice first. I'll let you have, go up. Back, remember the days when we used to read the missions from different parts of the world? with the little slide projector. He goes, I'll let you do that first, you know. I remember my friend uh, Joe and I, we were up there doing this, and there was a name from Africa that we had, I, I couldn't pronounce. And I tried. I'm still bad at it, as you could tell. And, and all of a sudden, as I'm doing this, I start cracking up. And I stop. And then Joe is like over here, and he's going... And it took us, I kid you not, about eight minutes to compose ourselves as we are laughing hysterically, trying to get through this reading. The whole church is laughing now. People are like having to get up and, and you know, it was, it was hysterical. But nobody said to us, you know, that was very irreligious. No, at the end of the thing, Jim came up to me and said, you're going to be a great teacher. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. And teaching a Sabbath school is what caused a guy by the name of David Catavero, Spencer, you know David, come to my church, watch me teach Sabbath school, and said, you know what? You ought to be a teacher in, in our system. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching an elementary school, which causes a pastor by the name of Omar Greaves say, you know what? You ought to be preaching. Why? Because somebody gave us the key. Tony is a pastor today. I am a pastor today because when I was 20 years old, somebody trusted me with the keys. Will we do that again? Will you? Let's trust our young people with the keys. Please. We've got so much to offer this kingdom. And we need to do it before we leave. All right, let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the extent that you go to reach out to us, to save us, to give us the keys. <laughs> I'm amazed, Lord. You could have done all of this without us. Angels could have been walking the earth and could have done the work and but for some reason you knew that there was joy in sharing those keys with us and together accomplishing this great work of the kingdom please father help us to share those keys with our younger generation 
and together, Lord, may we fulfill that prophecy. And old men will dream dreams and young men and women will see visions. Together. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.